Good morning, everyone. If you're outside, come in from the cold. We have a toasty room and a warm welcome for all. Well, good morning, everyone. Hands up those who have had a good week. Who's had a good week? Excellent. Hands up those that have had a not-so-good week. There's a couple, as a fair to middling. Those that have had a good week, take a look at the hands that are up now. Pray for these people, because they've had a not-so-good week. That's your challenge this week. Shelley, you're going to come and give a reading this morning. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for this woman. We thank you for the, the growth that we are seeing, the spiritual growth that we're seeing in her, Father. We thank you for her humbleness, her humility. And Lord, I ask this morning that you will just fill her full of confidence. May the words that she speaks this morning, your words, Lord, may they change the lives of the hearers, Father. Lord, just bless this woman as she reads your word. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee for the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thank you, Shelley. Well done. So this morning we're looking at Isaiah. Now Isaiah is a massive book. It's got 66 chapters in it. It's got virtually the entire Bible story, the whole narrative, the whole deal, all wrapped up in those 66 chapters. We find out about who God is, what God has done, what God will do, who Jesus is, what Jesus will do, what's going on in Israel, in Judah, we have got a book that covers the entire biblical narrative, the entire biblical theme, all wrapped up in one hefty book. Now, Isaiah was a prophet, so that means that he was a man that God chose to give a word to the people of the Holy Land. And the word he gave was very timely. The word he gave spoke of a king 
that was coming. Now, what was going on in that region of the world at the time? Well, Israel, the people, what they were doing was they were trying to abide in God. They were trying. They weren't exactly accomplishing it. You see, what they were doing was they were really intent on doing all the ceremonies, ticking all the lovely, beautiful boxes, a bit like the Pharisees that would be around in a few hundred years' time. So they were doing what they should be seen to be doing. But of course, that's not what God wants, is it? We can turn up to church every week, we can perform ceremonies, we can take communion, but if our hearts and our relationship with God is not in the right place, then it's just a fancy way of doing something on a Sunday morning, isn't it? So Isaiah's message was a message to bring hope and a challenge to the people of Israel. Now, in particular, he wanted to give this message to them as soon as God gave it to them because the message had a bit of a time stamp on it. And that time stamp was pretty imminent for the people of Israel. Because if we look in chapter 7, we see this movement of people called Assyria. Now, Assyria is to the north of what we call Israel today. And the Assyrian Empire was pretty massive. They were a huge empire and they had their eyes on Israel and Isaiah's message says you better get yourselves ready because God is going to use these people to shake you out of the stupor that you are in and sure enough the Assyrians came down they took land the Israelites did not stand a chance. They carried them off. The king Hezekiah, well, he managed to perform a miracle through God. He had trust in the Lord. He trusted, he, he stood on the promises that Jerusalem wouldn't fall. And in one night, I think it was 130,000 men on the Assyrian side wiped out. He stood on those promises and said, God, you said that Jerusalem would never fall. You said that no enemy would be able to take Jerusalem. Now, of course, that night, Jerusalem was saved. But coming from the east was another threat, the Babylonians. And the Babylonians were even bigger and even harder and even tougher than the Assyrians. And when they came, Jerusalem was sacked. So they were in confusion. Even though Isaiah had given this message that said, they're coming and they're going to do this, the nation of Israel, of Judah, all of the tribes were utterly, utterly broken. They were removed from their homeland, most of them, and taken to Babylon and spread out around in the exile. And they're all standing there going, but God said, 
Jerusalem would never fall. And it has. Does that mean that God lied? Well, of course, now we can see that Jerusalem wasn't a place. It wasn't a geographical place. It wasn't the city with the walls, the walls with the people inside and all the houses. The Jerusalem that the Lord was speaking of was heaven. You see, Jerusalem is a very special place because Jerusalem exists on our earth and Jerusalem exists in the spiritual realm as well. Jerusalem is in heaven and in earth at the same time. It spans it's the place where God lives on earth. It's like his throne on earth, Jerusalem. And he didn't want people that didn't want him to be in it. And so he removed some of them. He, he had his remnant taken away and kept safe, while the ones that stayed behind kind of had to witness the horrors of occupation. So the people were broken. They were scattered. Families were split apart. And then we have Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The message of hope in there. Yes, God has done this, or allowed this astonishing and almost barbaric treatment of his people. But there's a hope coming. Now, when these people would have heard this message, it would have been a literal light in the darkness. If you imagine all the wars that happen around the world right now, as soon as you lose hope, you lose the war. You can't win a war without hope. You can't win a war with broken people. You always need hope. Now, during the Second World War, that hope was alive and well in church buildings across the nation when the nation gathered to pray against the evil Nazi intruders into Europe. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. No doubt there are churches in the Ukraine right now who are praying and praying and praying and praying because they have hope, because they have a message from a God that says, one day I will deliver all of you. This world may end, but you will carry on. You will be with me. Now in this message, we talk about the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep, deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now I imagine that most of those people were expecting a king to come. A king to come and take over the reins of hope and lead them into victory. That was the hope that they had at the time. Did that king happen? Not in Israel, no. 
that king didn't come. And then when the Assyrian king, King Ataxarxes, he made a decree that all the ones that wanted to in his kingdom could come back to Jerusalem. So God used him first as a weapon of war and then as a time of a weapon of peace. And he reunited the nations. But still, the Israel didn't have this king. Especially not the king that would reign on David's throne, carry the governments of the world on his shoulders. They still had this hope, but they couldn't see where he was. Now, this isn't something new for them. If we remember right back at the beginning of Advent, we looked at Genesis chapter 3, didn't we? Not very Christmassy, all about the fall of mankind and us getting booted out of the Garden of Eden. (laughs) Happy Christmas! But the two are linked, because this people were always living in hope. Thousands of years, generation after generation, waiting for this king to arrive. And then when Isaiah spoke and said, the king is going to come and he is going to be the king that we have always needed. Not just a king that will do a marvelous thing and then fade off and die. There's a king coming that will carry the weight of the world on his shoulders the governments on his shoulders. There is a king coming that will wipe away every tear, that will destroy pain, end suffering. There is a king coming. Now imagine being in that land at that time. Your world has fallen apart. I tell you what, imagine yourself now in the bombed out streets of Ukraine and you're looking around at the bodies, the destruction. Where is your hope going to come from? You're going to trust in our government to do the right thing? Well, I'm sure our government have tried to do the right thing, but they're humans. They make mistakes. They can get nervous and pull out. Our hope, our true hope, has to be in the king that is described in Isaiah. If we start looking at earthly kings to be the ones to bring forward the kingdom of God, to end suffering, to be that hope in the darkness, we are going to be disappointed. There is not a king on this planet that comes even a microcosm of a percentage close to the power of Jesus. Not one king that has ever lived has the ability to do what this king in Isaiah is going to do. Now those people in the land then were long dead before that night in the stable, the night when Christ came. Their children 
their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, their great-great-grandchildren, all had passed without seeing this great king. But do you know what Jesus read when he went to the temple? What book was it that he read from? Isaiah. What's quoted at the beginning of the gospel? Isaiah. They were still reading it. This wasn't a long forgotten book. This wasn't a book that was just shelved and, well, we'll get round to reading that. They read this a lot to keep their hopes alive. It wasn't just some stale kind of, and today we're just going to read through Isaiah. Here we go. Here endeth the lesson. They read it because they needed that king. Every generation needed that king because these people, although they may have died hundreds, thousands of years ago, are just like you and I. They live in a broken world. They live in in times of uncertainty. They live in a time where they need grace. We're not so different. Our basic needs are exactly the same as them. Our temptations are exactly the same as them. And you know what? Unless Jesus comes back in the next hundred years, we're going to be a generation that dies, never seeing him come back again. But you know what? We are on the other side of that prophecy. We've seen that he came. That's our hope. We have something so much more powerful than they had because we have Emmanuel, God with us. We have the Gospels. We have the proof that Jesus came back. Everything that happened in Isaiah 9 has come true. It's there. Our hope in the darkness is there. All of us, if you have Christ in your heart right now, you have that hope in the darkness. Strip everything away from Christmas. Strip the trees, strip the presents, strip the food, strip the celebrating, strip even having fun with your family. Strip all of that away, and what we have is the coming of the King that we need now. And that's the rub. We need him now. Have we got him now? Yeah, praise the Lord, we've got him now. By the power of the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was given to us. He exists inside us right now. We don't have to wait for a child to be born. The child was born and he gave us gifts beyond measure. And praise the Lord, one day he will return. And he will fulfill a whole raft of other prophecies that are written in this book. Because God's work is not 
complete. It's complete in the terms of it's accomplished what he's going to accomplish, but there are still prophecies in this book that will be fulfilled the day that Jesus comes. The day that God wipes every tear from your eye is the day that another promise fulfilled. You see, Christmas is not about the turkey. It's not about your family. It's not about being together in the cold winter months. It's about the king coming to earth. Now, today we place the the magi, the wise men. Now, we have that song, don't we? We three kings of Orient are. But they weren't kings. They were magi. They were kind of, they were wise men. They were scientists, astrologers. Um, they prophesied. They read scriptures from all over the world. They came from the East. They were really learned men. But they were part of a much bigger tribe, the tribe of the Magi. Now, we imagine them coming as three wise men, right? So three wise men turn up in Jerusalem, and everyone goes, ooh, look at them. Ooh, three kings. Why would they say three kings? Hmm? Because of the gifts? Well, they probably had gifts in the bag. They couldn't see in the bags, could they? Why did they say they were kings? They've been expecting them. There's a prophecy that said about kings. So it could have been that. I'll tell you this. They didn't turn up just three blokes on camels. They had an entourage. They would have been servants. They would have been probably a whole caravan of people. Three people turn up in Jerusalem, right? It's not going to cause much of a scene. Jerusalem is one of the most heavily populated, densely populated cities in the world of that time. People are coming in and out all the time. Thousands of people. Three blokes on camels are not going to draw much attention. Three blokes on camels followed by an entourage stretching as long as a street with flags and strings and all sorts of things, they're going to make a difference. You're going to notice those people. And that is exactly how everyone thought the king was going to come into Israel to save the world with an entourage with fanfare, with plomb, with style, with power. He would arrive. His, his entry into the world would be spectacular and the whole world would just look and say, here is the king. And then he was born to two essentially working class peasants in a stable surrounded by animals, in a forgotten part of Bethlehem with no ceremony, no pomp. Born weak, born subject to death on this earth. 
he came in the way that no other king has come. Because the day he was born, he was the king that they needed then. He was the king that they needed before. And he was the king that we need now. Now, do you want to know a bit more about that king? Do you want to know a little bit more about that king? That's my king. My king can turn a man like me into a saved soul. That king can forgive me for everything that I have done in my life, for every evil deed, for every evil thought. My king can conquer everything. If he can turn me into the man that I am today and the man that I will be when fulfillment is fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven, he can do it for you and he wants to. That's the glory of it. He wants to if we want it. Do you want that king? Do you want that king? Amen. Amen. Then we welcome him on Christmas Day and we celebrate him like no other king has ever trod this earth. Next year we coronate a king that is a shadow of the king that we really truly have. Don't ever, ever put your trust in the kingdom of man because the kingdom of heaven is so much better, so much more glorious. Well, joyful is the state we should be in. Happiness is a state we'd like to be in, but joyfulness is a state that we remain in. This Christmas, if anyone asks you about Christmas, about the meaning of Christmas, it's your answer that will count. Think about your answer. In light of what we've been learning about Think about your answer to them. Let's say the grace together, shall we? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.